I have to be honest this morning, after four weeks off on holiday, this feels a little bit like a gear change uh, to be up preaching again, having not done it uh, in quite a few weeks. It's almost like that moment when you come through the airport uh, back from your holidays and discover where your car is and you turn the key and then you think, now how do I drive this again? Um, Because you haven't done it in a while. But this morning, what I want us to do is to begin thinking a little bit about what Paul and Jesus is saying to us through the passages that we have shared together. And for me, this reading in Romans chapter 12 is one that really defines and marks my time here in Fitzroy. Because from the very first day that I arrived at my very first staff meeting here, Romans chapter 12 was the passage that Steve was sharing with us as a staff. About each of us figuring out who we are in God, living the life that we are called to, and serving Him humbly and acting always together in love. And this morning, as we enter into a new church year, begin a new chapter with new halls, as people head off to university, maybe change jobs or move from primary to secondary school, that's what we want to think about. Who are we in God? How does His grace impact us and the situations and circumstances that we see on our TV screens? And how then do we, as individuals, but also equally as a body of Christ here in Fitzroy, serve Him in the way that He would have us do? And this morning, as we come to the reading in Romans chapter 12, what we see is that we're invited on a journey. We're invited on a journey with the Apostle Paul, because as we have seen, and many of us know, this was a man whose life had been interrupted by grace. This was a man whose life had been changed and transformed, and a man who had been sent in a different direction from the one that he had been going in from that moment that he encounters Jesus on the Damascus Road. Because what we see is a man who was once part of the Jewish religion system, a Pharisee, a student of the religious laws of his people. He was there in Acts when we see him standing by and cheering on the stoning to death of Stephen, a disciple of Jesus. But after that, we see Paul moving on a journey from village to town, rooting out Christians in an effort to eradicate them. But then, in one sudden moment, things change. In one moment, things can never be the same again. And this morning, we want to ask ourselves the question, if we let it, what could change in our lives, in our country's life, in the world's life, if we just allow that moment of grace to interrupt and change things? Because what we see is Paul struck blind on the road to Damascus. He couldn't see anything, but he enters into a period of being all ears, listening to what God is saying to him through Ananias. And when Paul catches that vision, what we see is him traveling around the ancient world, spreading the message of who Christ is and how we can be different in and through him. We see him become a teacher, a mentor, an encourager. And we see then that he goes on to write almost two-thirds of our New Testament. And as we come to Romans, we see him writing to the church there. And though he had never visited the church in person, 
what we find in it is Paul laying out some of the foundational teachings to the church there and to the church here today. Because Paul is saying it's all about grace. Because in Romans chapter 12, what we really see is Paul elaborating, expanding, and expounding upon the words of Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount that Claire read for us earlier. 30 short verses, yet 30 instructions. All of them meant to put flesh on the bones of Christ's one command that we are to love. Paul had good reason to go to such lengths to explain to the church in Rome why it was all about love, because things were tough. Things were not going well or easily for the church in Rome, because inside the church there was conflict, there was mistrust, and there were attitudes that were for a long time underneath the surface finally bubbling up to the top. We see people falling out with one another. We see people disagreeing with one another. And Paul, time and time again, tells them that what is essential is that it all comes back to love and grace. Love and grace in the mess that was all around. Because if they believed in God who is love, if they are followers of that love, then they too should express that love in the circumstances and situations they find themselves in. And similarly, Paul says that through our reading to us today. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Grace, it's a word that gets talked about an awful lot here. It's one that we have thought about together time and time again. But this morning, we want to turn our attention back to it and think just a little bit more about how that grace impacts us and others when we let it flow freely through us into the world around us. Grace, we sing about it, amazing grace. Sometimes when we bow before a meal, we pause to say grace. Occasionally, we let grace pepper our conversations, for example. Therefore, for the grace of God, go I. But what exactly are we talking about? Because at its very core and essence, grace is so much more than just mercy. Because grace this morning is getting what we don't deserve. And Paul had experienced that firsthand because here was a man who had been making a living persecuting the church, suddenly encountering Jesus, encountering that grace, having his life transformed and set on a new road and path in his life. Later, we will come to this table and we will share together in the ultimate expression of that grace, us receiving what we don't deserve through the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins. But since this is my last Sunday preaching as your assistant minister here, I know that means that you sort of have to indulge me a little bit uh, in this sermon. So I'm going to use uh, Les Miserables as one of my examples, uh, because not only is it one of my fondest memories of working here when we had the gospel according to, which you so lovingly let me go off and do, which was great, but also it's a musical that time and time interrupts my life and 
always provides me with something new to see. And I'm sure many of you have saw the musical. Maybe you've even seen the film. We went as part of Film Club when it was released and endured Russell Crowe trying to sing. Maybe that's the best word, endured. Maybe I need to show him some grace this morning and love. Um, But what we see at the very essence and the core of that musical is the story of Jean Valjean. A man who has been convicted for years before for a petty crime, stealing a loaf of bread to feed his sister's young child. A crime, yes, but a petty one. But the punishment that is exacted is years worth of hard labor, made worse by his uh, attempts to escape, seeing the time that he would have to remain in jail increase. But what happens when he leaves is he finds himself in the house of a bishop. And he loves it. He's there. He's encountering the grace and love of that man in providing shelter, providing food, providing accommodation. And it is amazing. But in the middle of the night, we clearly see that he gets up and he steals two candlesticks from that house. But as the story goes on, what we see time and time again is that the bishop shows him grace in that moment, and the grace that he has given and received then is grace that he is able to show to others as he goes about his life. And this morning, we want to talk about what could the world be like? What could Botanic be like? What could this country be like if each and every one of us just showed a little bit more grace to one another? Rather than counting up what that person's done against me, rather than thinking about, well, do you know what? Actually, I don't feel like it today, but rather just getting on with demonstrating and showing it. Because if we do amazing things can happen. As I said, Romans chapter 12 is one of those passages which time and time again I find myself going back to. And as I was reading it again this week in preparation for this morning, there was one verse that struck me differently maybe this week than it had in the past. And in one translation, it simply says this, the only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. And that leaped off the page at me this morning. We spend so much of our lives defining ourselves, who we are, what we will become in the future, how we are identified, what are we known for. And that was Paul's story. He could rhyme off his accomplishments and his pedigree and all the ways that he had lived his life right, because that's what a Pharisee did. Not only did they know the law, but they took pride in accumulating commendations for keeping the very letter off it. Paul could technically count with pride the plaques hanging on his wall, demonstrating just his goodness, his contributions he was bringing to the table. But there, in the midst of keeping all those laws, rules, and regulations, we find that there was no room for God until that moment, until that encounter, until things changed. Are we a little bit like that this morning? Have we talked ourselves into believing that we actually deserve the grace 
that is displayed on this table this morning. And even more, more than that, do we then go further and say, well, yes, I deserve this, but do others deserve this? Because actually they don't speak like us. They don't behave like us. They don't vote like us. They don't live like us. They don't belong to our economic bracket. Philip Yancey, I'm sure many of you know, wrote that book years ago, What's So Amazing About Grace? And I suppose I was leafing through it recently again, and we all know that through that book, what Yancey does is challenge the readers and the church to once again take a look at grace. And when he was being interviewed to promote the publication of the book, in one of the interviews he gave, he tells the story of receiving a letter from one of his readers that says, actually a complimentary letter, but you should call your book What's So Annoying About Grace. Because grace this morning is annoying. It's not easy for us to show grace to others. It is hard for us to show grace to those who have offended us. It's hard for us to extend welcome to those who don't speak or look like us. But it's not about being good people this morning, but rather it's about putting that grace into action on streets, in homes, in communities, in individual settings, in people's lives. It's about doing things differently than how we have always been doing them. Yancey then goes on to tell another story in the book, and he said um, basically it was in apartheid Africa, and he's talking with a man who was next in line to become the next head of the Dutch Reformed Church, the very church that came up with apartheid. And he told me, when I grew up, apartheid was preached in the pulpit as biblical. Now that doctrine has formally been declared a heresy and we have repented. He went on to say that the church is considering as an act of compassion and penance to devote their resources to addressing the huge problems of the nation, such as AIDS and poverty. We've got this institution with some of the best buildings, he says, with some of the best kitchens, and some of the best infrastructure in the country. What if we take those resources that were developed through heresy and turn them over to the cause of good? This morning, what good can we be about doing? As we leave here changed and transformed by this table, through this interruption and moment of grace, what good can we be about doing in the badness that is all around us. Because this morning as we come to this table, we see just how great the gift of grace from God to his church and to individuals is. Because when we come to this table, when we encounter this grace, we are stripped of all self-righteousness. We are stripped of our own goodness, our own smugness. Rather, we have to surrender to the grace that can totally and radically transform our lives. And this morning, we want to ask ourselves as individuals and as a church and as a denomination that God would indeed give us the courage to be a church and to be people who trust in his grace alone, that breathe in that grace and then extend that grace to others on a daily basis. So may we be those people. 
May we be that church and may we be encouraged and challenged and transformed by the grace we receive to give it to others. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come to think further about your grace as we come to communion, we pray that we would build our lives on you and that we know that when that grace has interrupted our lives, things have changed and been transformed. And so we pray that we wouldn't just keep that grace bottled up for ourselves, but rather we would have the courage and the boldness to extend that grace to the world around us that we would find ourselves with people that we don't quite understand, that we would find ourselves in settings where we think to ourselves, goodness, I'm really out of my depth, that we would have the courage and the boldness to live by that grace on a daily basis, that we could indeed sing the words of the song, that our hope is found in Christ alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.